Hello, and welcome to The Delicious Truth with Gloria Cotton. I'm Gloria. During this podcast, we're going to cover a variety of topics that are impacting our everyday lives. We'll look at four things for each topic. One, the absolute empirical truth. That's all about the facts and data. Then we'll look at the personal experiential truth. And that's about how those facts and others do and don't show up in people's lives and their experience of them. Next, the consequential, impactful truth. The difference this makes in people's lives. And finally, you'll hear about resources and solutions you can use to empower yourself and others. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the key to reducing recidivism in our world. To uncover the delicious truth of this topic, we'll be talking with Dov Lewis, the founder and executive director of SecondChances.life. Let's jump right in. Dov, thank you so much for being with us today. Welcome, baby. How you doing? I'm good, Miss Glory. Thank you so much uh, for having me. Thank you for using your platform to share the delicious truth. Uh, I'm excited mm-hmm. to be here. Um, as yes, only delicious people here. Okay. Yes, I'm glad to tell you right now. So let's get into this important topic of looking at recidivism and why uh, and how we're talking about this now. Give us some data and some facts that people might not know. Let's begin by looking at the absolute empirical data involved with this. What you got? Right. So recidivism for those people that don't really understand what that is. That's a new term that you hear across the criminal justice reform is huge Mm. um, in the climate that we live in today. And so recidivism is a fancy word for someone that has been incarcerated and they go back into incarceration. So someone that was previously incarcerated and they actually go back. That's what recidivism is. So you're going back into the criminal justice system. And today, the stats, depending on the state, depending on the city, but from a national standpoint, the recidivism rate is about 76.6%. So we can say 80%, close to 80% that someone that has been incarcerated and that'll go back is about 80% today. In some places, it's about 95%. Where I grew up at in Terrell, Texas, it's about 95%. So after people go through all this, quote unquote, rehabilitation and all of this, then they get out and they have an 80 percent chance of going back in. So if for no other reason, this seems yes. like we're not getting the ROI, the yes. investment that we have made in these people to help them. We're not helping them take advantage of that. That's what it sounds like to me. Yes, that's a, a practical way to to look at it. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're 21 and younger, it's higher than that. So statistics show that the younger you are, the higher recidivism, the higher the recidivism rate is. Um, it also shows the disparities in education. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more educated you are, the lower the recidivism rate is. So people that have a college degree that's had a run in with the law that have been incarcerated the recidivism rate is about 7.5%. Wow. So you're looking at 10 times the chances based on the educational gap, like the socioeconomic gap 
Mm-hmm. Someone that has a college degree, 7.5% versus someone that's not educated and it's 80%. So, <laughs> yeah. So uh, education, poverty has a lot to do with it. If you're living in poverty, you're more likely to go back to it. Yeah, Correct. If you don't have privilege, as much privilege as some people have. Okay. A lot of that has to do with socioeconomic. It has to do with the resources. It has to do with access to the resources. Um, it has to do with environmental challenges. There's not one specific thing that affects this, but what we do know that it's socioeconomics is a huge factor in reducing re- recidivism or recidivism rates being where they are today. Wow. I mean, give me the typical day in the life of someone who has, I'm going to the experiential truth, what it's like sure. for some of these people. And and let me ask you a question. Is it different depending upon your gender? Does gender play a role in this? It does. Um, and people don't think about gender either. And that's a good question. I'm glad you brought that up. And statistics are showing that the, the rate of women going into the jail or prison population has increased over the last 10, 20 years. Um, The population has increased drastically. Um, One of the main reasons why women go into the system is usually taking the fall for a man that they were with. Wow. That is, that's usually why women end up incarcerated. A lot of times it's for those reasons, like they've gotten caught up with a guy that's selling drugs um, there may be some kind of larceny. I mean, there's all these challenges, but they usually it has to do with a, a man. Most yeah. of the cases why a woman's in there and the rates have increased and the challenges are different. If you think about a woman going into the prison system and you think about specifically in the African-American community, brown and black community, you're looking at today about two and a half million people incarcerated about 2 million of those are men. Mm-hmm. And if you think about what that has done to the family structure and the family system, specifically in our community, about 70% of the prison system is made up of black and brown men, which means they're not, not in the home. So if you take the woman out of the home and these single parent homes, you've destroyed the family. I'm, I'm thinking get- about the impact on the children. Now mm-hmm. we're setting them up. Yes. That they're in the same situation that they're more likely to be victimized by the system mm-hmm. and now criminals. Yeah. So you continue to growing up in poverty is traumatic. That's a traumatic experience for anybody that you may not know the trauma that you face. Like most people don't, they don't consider it trauma. It's all sort of how you see it and how you feel about it, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not having access to resources, not being given the same opportunities, all these things are creating these, this trauma. And it's an, subconscious thing that's going on around you and and people are not you don't necessarily have the tools or the capacity to understand the trauma that you face growing up in these environments because usually if you're in a poor community um, there's food insecurities food insecurities create trauma Um, not knowing where your next meal is coming from you know not understanding the impact of that um, not having the resources and the tools you need um, there's also lack of education usually associated with all these things. So um, I'm sort of getting off topic, but I, w- I want to get back to um, the family structure and the the women and the differences between the challenges that they face. But the day in the life of someone being incarcerated. So as soon as you are released from 
from jail or prison, depending on the amount of time. And it also depends on how much family support you have. Like what type of support system does that person have when they're in there? Mm. And what we've seen is that those that have a strong family support system, some a family that has not given up on them. It can also be a spouse. Like I, I know someone right now that spent 18 years incarcerated. The wife stayed with him eight, all the whole time, 18 years. So think about the impact that has on the family. Think about the impact that has on the wife. Think about the impact that has on the two sons. Mm. But it also helped the person that was behind bars and incarcerated not feel alone, not feel abandoned, and gave them hope that they had something to come back to after 18 years. And I've seen the impact that that has on someone after 18 years. He's now out. We're going on month four. He's in school now. All right. He has a job now. Where's he uh, working? I mean, don't say the name of the company necessarily, mm-hmm. but you know, I know that people who do not have that support system have a hard time finding a job. You, We were talking earlier and you were saying they can't even get a job at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. So is this person making just minimum wage now? I mean, what kind of job does he have? So we have at secondchances.life, we've been fortunate enough to sort of navigate the system and build these different strategic partnerships with different employers in the community that mm-hmm. when someone does come home after we vetted them, we have jobs and places to place them um, to get them moving in the right direction. And this person that I'm speaking of right now is the ideal situation where you're able to get someone employment for them to be able to support themselves and be able to take care of their daily needs. Like they're, the daily needs such as food, transportation, having a roof over your head, and being able to get to and from the job, people don't think about those things either. And not only do you not only being able to give the person a job, but can they keep the job? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's where all the support comes in at like, are there mental health issues or their challenges? But you also hold in these employees accountable to giving them a fair, livable wage. A lot of these employers will give someone the bare minimum, something that's below minimum wage, because they're they're assuming that this person, because they have the word felony attached to their name, that they don't deserve what someone without a felony would get paid for that same job, mm-hmm. whether the person is qualified or not, or whether the person meets the standards or not. They would choose to pay this person less than someone else. So those are challenges that we continue to face in the workplace also, but those are also conversations. Those are also, you know, that's a lot of work that goes into that because people also come out feeling less than Mm -hmm. they -hmm. come out feeling unworthy. They Mm -hmm. they scarlet letter on their back. They have not truly been rehabilitated. Mm -hmm. 90% Mm -hmm. of the people that go in there have not been rehabilitated. They haven't been given the tools that they need that once they get out, they're going to be able to survive and move forward. I can't tell. We just recently had a job fair here in, um, Houston, and there were men and women that had just gotten out. There's about 50 of them that came that had just gotten out. They had never seen an iPad. So the world has changed drastically in the last 10 years. You can't just walk into a place and and and, and fill out an application. So the 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 learning curve now everything is online. You have to go online and apply to application and things like that. So 
being able to give someone those tools when they come out, but those things should be implemented before they get here. Mm-hmm. You're leaving one world and you're coming back to another world and they're expecting you to function without even the tools. And it's not the same world you left. It's not. If you've been in there anytime. So everything is new. Everything's new. You you mentioned vetting the employee. What are some of the 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 person who has gotten out of jail, served and done their time, so to speak? What's involved in the vetting of the employee? But I also want to know what's involved in vetting the employer. Mm-hmm. So what's involved in the vetting process for both of those? So what we look at, um, we have a 12-step evaluation program. And so we look at, does this person first um, what are their main, what are the needs that they, they have when they're coming out? Because there's not one solution for mm-hmm. each person. We, mm-hmm. we don't all need the same thing. I'm not built like you. I don't have the same mental capacity. I don't learn the same way. So we really do take our time and we look at what, what do you need? You know, what, what exactly do you need? And a lot of people that come out, they don't have that family structure. They don't have family. And some people are not even from Houston. They just got dropped off at the nearest bus station because that was probably what they could afford. Because when you get out of prison, they give you, I think it's 75 bucks. And it's up to you to get to where you have to get with $75 at that point. It's not funny. It's ridiculous. It's That's really what you get. And, and, and because we're in Texas and Houston, there are so many different prisons and jails around Houston that I could drive there right now. And there's a bus dropping people off that just got out of jail or prison. So here's what and I want to ask you a question about the importance of of voting rights in this, because it seems to me that the system is built so that there's not a support for transition. I mean, you're gotten, you've gotten out of jail. I give you $75. I'm taking you to the drop-off point, and then you're on your own. Am I overstating that? or No, that is the absolute honest truth. With, with So, all so what needs to happen so that these people are not just thrust into this cauldron of a different world sure. to make it on their own? What needs to happen? I think the main thing that needs to happen today is reform has to include accountability. We're talking about criminal justice reform that has include accountability, both inside and outside. That also needs to include repair. What does that mean? What does that mean? Justice. What does justice mean? Justice means that I pay for something once, not the rest of my life. We're calling the system, the criminal justice system. But people have to pay for their crimes for the rest of their life. If you're not coming back home to a family that has the, the financial means, that have the economic power where they can place you somewhere when you get out and they have something waiting on you, you will continue down a path of paying for what you did the rest of your life, especially in the brown and black community. We have people now, their crime, they committed a crime 40 years ago. And the crime is something that they're legalizing today, which is they had possession of marijuana. Mm-hmm, and if you look mm-hmm. across the United States right now, they're legalizing marijuana. I'm not for that if there's no repair. If you're not repairing the damage that was done with the war on drugs and people that have felt 
felonies because of marijuana on their records, why would I support them legalizing something that has criminalized our community mm-hmm. and has the war has been impactful? So that's where I go back to when we're looking at what are we doing on the inside to prepare this person to enter a world that they've been separated from forever? Because you're going prison is a different world. Jail is a different world from what we live in on a daily basis. And are they actually giving people the tools that they need when they get out to survive? So what do the programs look like? So there has to be an overhaul of the programs. Uh, most people that have been in the system will tell you they're used to, it's like being in a military. People tell you when to go to sleep. They mm-hmm, tell you mm-hmm. when to eat. They tell you when to shower. So they're telling you everything that you have to do and you have to do it. And if you don't do it, you're getting punished. There's So everything is structured and organized and put in place for you. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. yeah. I would yeah. say in, in a sense, yeah, they're, they're telling you what to do and you're, and then when this person leaves and gets out, now they come out into this world and it's like, okay, now what? No structure. No, no. So here's what I was struck with when you were talking about criminal justice. For some people, there is criminal justice before, during, and after the committing of the crime and incarceration and after. Some people experience criminal. Now, tell me if I'm wrong, okay? Some people experience criminal justice, justice in the criminal system before they do anything, when they do it, going through trial and all of that while they're in jail and then afterwards. You have to have your family in place and all kinds of resources to make that happen. The right lawyers, your family, or someone who loves you, and they have to have the wherewithal in order to support you. But some people experience the injustice of the criminal system Mm -hmm. before, during, and after. That's what it sounds like to me. And if you look at our current system now, you're you're guilty before you even go before a jury. You're guilty before you've even gone before the system. Like mm-hmm. people will hold you, say you're guilty of something that you haven't even been tried for. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. haven't even gone before the judge yet, and you're saying I'm guilty of something just because I was arrested. You know, so or just because I'm in the skin. Mm-hmm. 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 You know, mm-hmm. so See, because I'm listening to people, I can hear people saying they're listening to you and they're saying mm, they have a choice when they get out. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps because, you know, we hear that. Mm-hmm. Why can't they just. And what I hear you saying is for some people, the just is very different. So it's not an equal playing field. And I think that's what people have to think about. You have to think about it's the same thing as being as slavery. Like if you think about slavery, you set this 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 group of people free. You say, okay, you can go free. And now what? What do I do with this freedom? What do I do now that I'm free? I'm trying to get a job. I'm trying to get hired. I'm trying to gain access to resource. And I you can't continue to deny me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you continue mm-hmm. to deny me. Like when they mm-hmm. set the phase for you, civil war and all these things that we fought for, for our freedom, we still did not have resources. Mm-hmm, we still mm-hmm. able to just pull ourselves up from our bootstraps. Mm-hmm. And then we were able to advance and continue to move forward as a group of people that were enslaved. The system came back and destroyed what we had built. Right. And took it from us. 
So it's the same cycle that you continue to see like there these communities you at you, you're going to release me from jail and release me back into the same community that I came from that I got in trouble in. Mhm. Because somebody hasn't done their job to clean up that community. Right. And that's just I mean the communities can be looked at racially, but the communities can be looked at economically as well. Yeah. So it's not just and, and I think this is a message that people get need to hear because sometimes people don't care if it's not about people who look like them, but it is people who have the same wherewithal that you do or not. That is it. So we are a community. We're no matter what our color, when we're pot, when we're poor, when we don't have access, those things that you're saying, that's one whole world that's separate from the other worlds. It's not a community. That's a world that people are living in. And Miss Glory, that's a good point because that goes to this misnomer about people that have made a mistake. We make mistakes on a daily basis that don't ruin our lives mm-hmm. forever. Yeah, we don't. Mm-hmm. Or, or I didn't get caught. Mm-hmm. If you think mm-hmm. that we have all walked around here with these perfect um, Jesus, there's only one Jesus that I know of. And that does not exist. Like, I'm not human if I have not made a mistake and if I have not made some choices, I just didn't get caught. Or if I did get caught, it it didn't ruin my life. And so, so, you know, you know what I'm I'm, I'm thinking about is even how do we define a mistake? How mm -hmm. do we when someone how do we address I'm listening in my mind to people calling someone an assassin or Mm -hmm. someone who was just confused, Mm -hmm. someone who is a murderer or or an animal, not even a human being Mm -hmm. because of the color of their skin, doing Mm -hmm. the same deeds as someone else. And because of the color of their skin, we need to get them some help. You know, they broke up with their girlfriend. Yeah. And so we just have to feel sorry for for him, yeah. as opposed to this person just killed 20 some people. Okay? This person is a, a murderer. This person is a terrorist. I'm looking for consistency in justice. I'm looking for consistency in how we talk about the people, consistency in how these people are treated. Sure. And those are the things that set people up. To get out, well, first of all, to go in or not go in, mm-hmm. and then how you experience it when you're in, and then when you get out, what your experience is. Yeah, so that's a hot steaming, sticky, stinky mess that people are not looking at. That's part of the delicious truth that makes you throw up in the back of your mouth. Okay, absolutely. I, I'm absolutely. just saying, mm-hmm. absolutely. And and the goal here is to hopefully in reform, have the laws applied fairly, have them applied equally. And who's applying those? Who's applying these laws? Because those people determine the law is the law. That's just the law is not a living, breathing thing. It just that's just words. Mm -hmm. But then human beings are interpreting those. So I'm seeing you as less than human. I might apply that law a little differently than I do somebody who looks like my son or my daughter. Sure. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, see, now you got me excited 
So, <laughs> which you know doesn't take much. All right. So I'm thinking about I, my eldest brother uh, was a drug addict, mm-hmm. and I asked him one time. I said, "Why do you do this?" And so he said, "Because for a moment, I forget." about my world. I forget about my pain. I don't experience it. And here's what I said to him, but you go to sleep. And when you wake up, you still have that same pain and less money. See see what I'm saying? And I think this is what happened. People, we look at the epidemics of opioids and heroin or heroin or cocaine, the things that people are doing other addictive things, alcohol, sex, whatever, that people use to cope. But if I don't understand what you're coping through and with and about, then I have a whole different view of you. When I look at you, you're the animal that's taking this drug. I don't give you the benefit of the doubt of well, he just had an argument, a breakup. It was a horrific breakup that he had with no, this is an animal, okay? Yeah. That's a hot mess. What can we do? What can we do to help people change and get a different or expanded mindset? How can people get a better understanding of what people are really going through before, during, and after incarceration? You have to what can we do? We have to get back to empathy. Like empathy, for some reason, does not exist in most of our worlds these days. Like Mm -hmm. people, again, it goes back to what I said earlier. Like people forget that these are humans. People forget that we're flawed and we're not all the same. Like we're not all the same. Like I'm not. Thankfully, thankfully, I love you, baby, but I'm not trying to be like you. You know, it's that kind of thing. Yes. And empathy and love supersede a lot of things and 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 understanding that because we're not all the same some people it takes them more work and more time mm-hmm. to get to the next phase of their life it's not mm-hmm. not everything needs to be criminalized mm-hmm. like not mm-hmm. every single thing needs to be criminalized and ruin your life like what mm-hmm. what are the what resources are we offering people besides jail time Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like what else mm-hmm. am I offering you besides jail time? Like, do you need mental health? Like a lot of these things are tied to mental health. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't realize how unhealthy a lot of people's minds are, which lead to the mistakes or somebody had a moment of weakness. And in that moment of weakness, they did something and they made a mistake that continues to fall, whether it's drugs or not. Some people may have smoke something and was like, you know what? I just want to escape for a second. Not realizing that down this, you weren't built to smoke this or do whatever you took. So now you're addicted to it. So how do we So so here's, here's, here, here are a couple of questions. Who bears the impact of criminalization more than others? And then what is criminalized? for some people, whereas some people are just given a pass. Those are some things I think that need to happen on a broader level, on mm-hmm. a national level, on a governmental level. And and I think we need to also look at not only mental health, but emotional health, because how long can you generation after generation or just 
have your parents removed or just one parent removed or just one anybody significant in your life? And what does that do to your feelings and then your thoughts and then your behaviors? Mm -hmm. And I think we only look at the behavior sometimes and lump all the people in without looking at how they got there, not only what they did, but how they got to the point of doing what they did. Yeah. And if you think, Miss Gloria, about locking people up has not changed a thing. Say what? Locking people up has not changed one thing. Would you say that one more time, please? Locking people up has not changed a thing. Our society is not safer. Our communities are not safer. Our <laughs> people have not advanced. Drugs are still rampant. The violence is still the same. Nothing has changed. What has changed is that the numbers have increased. And now today we have more people incarcerated than we do enslaved. We have more people incarcerated and more crime on the street. Yeah. Be and, the, and, and that goes back to... Rehabilitation that goes mm -hmm. back to resources that goes back to how mm -hmm. we treat people that goes mm -hmm. back to how people see each other mm -hmm. and what what are we making available to each other like what's available to each other like how does my family see me when I get out how do mm -hmm. you know how does the world see me when I get out like they see you as this person with this scarlet letter on your back and. We have to get real about these things and the people that have the ability to change this stuff have to get real about it. And we also have to stop profiting off of people's pains and mistakes. The prison okay. system right now gets money every day. Our tax dollars go to these these prison systems. People are making billions of dollars off of people being incarcerated. So somebody's happy. Absolutely. That people are being incarcerated because it pads their pockets. Absolutely. Yeah. And these are the people who don't have the same, don't experience the same Chris, uh, criminal justice system as those people that they're putting in jail. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so let me ask you a question just to begin closing. What happens? What, what is the best case scenario if we do something about this? And what's the worst case scenario if we don't? The best case scenario is we create a better, more productive society. Like statistics show you that it's cheaper to educate someone than it is to incarcerate them. Mm. Like on average, I think in Texas, it's about $40,000 a year. In California, it's $80,000 a year to incarcerate someone. Mm. Can you think about the, the cost of like educating someone Mm -hmm. giving them mental health resources, mm -hmm. giving them tools, giving them skills. It just, the, the numbers don't lie. The data is there. The data is there. It shows you that it's cheaper to do that. And also the communities are safer. If people don't have access to jobs, if they don't have access to housing, they're going to turn to whatever they need to do to survive. And that's to survive. They, yes. To if survive. they have to come in your house, if they have to sell drugs, if they have to steal, if they have to rob, that's what people do to survive. People that we hope are looking out for our society and for our communities have done us a disservice for all these years because they look the other way. Like people, for some reason, like when you're not, a, and I've, I've been guilty of this, like sometimes when you're so far removed 
from what the average human being is going through, you lose empathy and you forget that not everybody has the same experience as you. Not everybody has been given the tools that you have. Not everybody has been given the resources. Not everybody has crossed paths with the people that you have and not everybody thinks the same way that you do. And because of that, I have to have empathy. I I can never not have empathy for those that are suffering. I cannot. So here's here's, here's what I'm going to do, though. If I don't see those people, they don't exist for me. Mm -hmm. They don't exist for me. Yeah. And what I like about your film is that it's a way for people to see real people and what they have gone through. Yeah. Absolutely. As 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 we I I wish we had more time to talk. Maybe you have to come back. Sure. Let's just have a, another date, okay? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um I, let people know how they can view your video. That's one. Sure. And then I really want to know how can people find out more about this delicious truth? Got it. So we're at um, the the website for our organization is www.secondchances.life. Second is the number two. So pe- most people like to spell it out, S-E-C-O-N-D, mm-hmm. but it's the number two in D.life. So instead of .com, it's .life. Mm-hmm. Our handles on social media, it's all the same. So it's at secondchances.life. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can find us on there as well. Um, and with our film, like we're working on the second part of the film, but if anybody wants to go, you can find us on YouTube. Um, you can find us on Vimeo. Um, and also on our website, there's a clip um, of the film. You can go look at the trailer and everything. We're also in the spring, we're doing a trailer as well. Um, not a trailer. We're doing a screening here in Houston um, in the spring. We're looking at March or April, doing another screening and having a panel discussion and bringing in some of the people, some of the leaders, community leaders, some of the advocates. Good. Uh, some of the judges that are looking at um, or that have started doing the work of reform, helping us reform the system. Uh, we built a lot of really good partnerships in Houston, which I'm super excited about. Uh, we have some a really big project that I don't want to talk about right now, but hopefully on the next one, we can announce it, um, what we're working on here in Houston. But it's going to change the world, which I'm super excited about locally. I so thank you. I thank you for the work that you're doing for these people. Thank you for speaking for the voiceless. Thank you for bringing to our consciousness people that people don't hear and don't see and don't even consider. Absolutely. Thank you for doing that. I, I, I want to encourage you to publish the names of the companies and the people that are working to turn this around. It's mm-hmm. time we started calling people out by name. Absolutely. It really is. You don't have to call out the names of the people who don't, although I wouldn't be mad at you if you did that, <laughs> but you run the risk of being sued and all that other kind of stuff. So sure. we're try- not trying to send you to jail. Okay. So, but I recommend that we celebrate uplift and call out the names and positions of people who are working for people for real. Absolutely. You know, and they can serve as mentors and all of that. But I think that would be helpful. Dav, you are one of the greatest human beings I know on the planet. Thank you so much. Likewise, I I share the same sentiment with you. And thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your gifts. Thank you for listening to the universe. Um, Hello. Yes. 
um, because that's why we're here. So I, I'm, I'm grateful. And thank you so much. I'm looking forward to coming back and supporting you in any way that I can. Thank, thank you. you, darling. There's a hug in your future if you want right. one. So here's my reaction and some takeaways for me from this episode. I was really surprised at the rate of people who return to jail after they have completed their sentencing. 766 to 95% of the people, that's a lot of people, y'all. So I, I, was, I was interested about why this happens. And some of it is the connection between poverty, socioeconomics, education, available resources, all of those things that is not surprising, but you might not have thought of it actively. Here's one of the things, the privatization of the prison system. In other words, how much money people make from the big business of keeping people in jail. So there's a method to this madness, y'all. Here's what we need to do. We need to be sure that we are working to create environments and relationships where people feel supported, where they have survival skills out here, where people have practical job training and skill development. We need to be looking at mental health assessment and care for people. If you don't have a clue how to do that and you have a passion for this work, I invite you to reach out to Second Chances Dobbs organization. Look at the documentary, Second Chances documentary that's on Netflix. I've won all kinds of awards. But if you don't know how you can get involved, and again, you have a passion for it, reach out to Dobbs organization. They'll be able to put you in touch with somebody that's close in your area that you can help do the work. We're all going to have to be involved in changing one of the diseases of our system, of our country. Thank you.